0: here's some inside gossip a little bit of scoop on what's happening in in goal radio the podcast david hutchison is our dad but he doesn't know when to let go and kevin woodley is the reckless child but the child that wants control of the the steering wheel and i just sit back and do nothing Before we start every podcast, we're all, all, everybody ready to go. And the last minute, Hutch will say, uh, recording. Don't you? Every time, every single time.
1: It's because I forget every week.
0: Every time it it happens. And Woody, he does nothing, but 20 minutes in, I can see him checking his recorder to make sure that he's actually rolling on the recording of it because he doesn't want to stop and and let us go. (sighs) Sorry guys. I wasn't recording.
1: Woody's just checking for recording space because he talks so long.
2: Is it because he's dad, or is it because we actually have like two really impressive interviews that nobody will ever hear because he forgot to hit record?
1: Two. I know I screwed one up really bad.
2: I can't remember what the second one is now. Oh, but we in that case, I think time. there's
0: five. If you can't remember, I can remember <laughs> four of them. It's presented by uh, the Hockey Shop, source for sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. You can remember one for sure. Now,
1: Hundred percent. Oh, yeah, it was I know tragic. One.
2: Yeah, I, I, and it was so good too. And then we tried to re, we tried to start again, and the guy it. was so not f, no because he wanted to. He was so good the first time. He wanted to be just as good the second time. And he and his answers, he tried too hard, and then he wasn't happy with them. And then we never yeah. we never ran an interview.
0: You you can't.
2: And I think I think the second time might have been the three of us. It might have been when we were the three of us doing intros, but Hutch was here in person, and yes, we were in my basement. Yes, so, so that doesn't we that screwed doesn't
1: up even, every time we're in person. That doesn't count. Got to be remote. That Luke doesn't count. Zoom for our backup.
0: The, the one time that we did it in person that scared me the most was when we were at the National Hockey League draft a couple of years ago in Vancouver. And we sat down with Marty, Marty Brodeur. And I was petrified something was going to go wrong with that one, that we weren't going to be able to pull that out of it. Like, I still think back and go, who gets to sit down with Marty Brodeur the morning of the draft for an hour, for an hour? Like, in person?
2: Yeah, I think the only regret we had on that one is we probably would have put a lapel mic on him because Marty talks like he plays goal, very active <laughs> hands. And so the levels on the mic were, that was, I mean, Hutch did a miraculous a job making it good. Would, but the,
1: holy cow. It,
2: it was, it was, mo- it was moving around so much. I actually use that analogy anytime I do a personal interview to sort of remind guys, like, hey, like I use that story, like, hey, like, if we don't have a remote mic and you're holding the mic, you got to just try and keep it somewhat, you know, in, in a similar spot. That's a as good challenge.
0: Talk. Hey, uh, I know this is going to be hard, but try and be better than Brodeur. If you, <laughs> if you can, okay. Yeah. If you, I, I, he's, 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 he's got great skills as a goaltender, but he wasn't uh, very accomplished at holding the mic. This is your one opportunity to be better than Martin.
2: Yeah. But you can't be better than an interview because he was like, that's the thing. There was just so much passion in the interview that he, and he was active talking with his hands a little bit. Like it hundred percent understandable. If I was that uh, invested in the conversation, I'd be moving around. I want to too. go back and
0: listen to that thing. Uh, no, not for the mic and the uh, being off mic, but just to, to lean into whole more time. Cause that's the most I've ever had a chance to talk to him in all my years around him. What a, what a special moment. And did we get pictures with him too? Or, or we, we did. Were, yeah. Too, yeah. We did.
1: Yeah, we got a couple of photos somewhere.
0: All right. Well, flip those over to me, because I got to put them on my wall of fame back here. I got to get that going. Uh, Hanging out with Martin Brodeur. uh, Like that is just uh, really special. Uh, He's won a Stanley Cup before as we bring you uh, In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com and source for Sports Langley. We have Sergei Bobrovsky against Aiden Hill. Your challenge over the course of the next week is I want to know, Aiden Hill is the most unexpected goaltender to reach a final since dot, 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 dot. All right? You don't have to give me names right now. I really want you to, and this is for the listener as well, do some uh, work on this, look back, give us your choice because Aiden has been fantastic. In the opening of the Stanley Cup final, he made a miraculous save with the back half of his paddle, which I think is the part of his game that's impressed me the most this year is the desperation side. We know that he can make saves. We know he can control rebounds, but uh, but being athletic and the desperation, uh, he's he's really blown me away uh, with uh, the ability to get in the way of pucks in, in odd scenarios. The most unexpected goaltender to reach a final since... Dot, dot, dot. Can you do it?
1: Can I ask, is that unexpected... From some point, like when the playoffs started, when the season started, are we going to qualify this in any way at all, or just go for it?
0: We can have some fun with it. Uh, I'm going with with when the playoffs started. I'm thinking about it. That he was uh, he was out of the lineup down the stretch. He was flipping back and forth with Jonathan Quick as the backup to start the postseason, and then he takes over because of injury in the second round and is now here into uh, a Stanley Cup final. And he never played a minute of postseason hockey before this year. And, but he's not a new guy. Like he's not the 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 kid bursting on the scene, called up and, and making this run. He's in, in the veteran category.
2: And he's out like for all the hype that Sergei Babrowski's getting and well deserved, like on a per shot basis since he got into the playoffs, Aiden Hill's adjusted save percentage is actually better hmm. than than for the playoffs. The only guy that's better then Aiden is Igor Shesterkin in the first round. Then it's Aiden Hill, and then it's Sergei Bobrovsky. Now Bobrovsky's played a little longer because obviously he started sooner. Um, he's got more goals saved above expected, but on sort of on a per shot basis, that save percentage differential by Clearside Analytics when these when these Stanley Cup Finals started, for and I, I honestly surprised myself when I looked this up. For all the talk though about Bob Aiden on a shot by shot basis has actually been better overall in the playoffs. Now listen, hey. Don't forget, Bob was actually below expected against Boston, and he's on an absolute heater since then. But for the total playoffs, like guess just, it's not sort of trying to pit one against the other, but just to sort of show how good Aiden Hill has been. Yes, the Vegas Golden Knights are a hell of a team. Yes, Bruce Cassidy has them playing a system that uh, I think a lot of goalies would like to play behind. But relative to that shot quality, Aiden Hill has been
0: that You mentioned good. something. Uh, his numbers were not great against Boston. That, I've heard that a couple of times, and I don't get it because he came in and gets all the credit for turning that series around. It it It's a, a, a sort of a paradox to me. Well, I mean, below
2: expected. I mean, the raw numbers are what they are, too. But at the end of the day, that was more of a, you know, and that's the thing, right? Like, the numbers are the numbers. There's still more to it. Um, do they get past Boston if he doesn't start stop Brad Marchand on a breakaway in the dying seconds. Like they don't even get to overtime, right? Like, um, so big moments, big saves. I think that's been a big part of Bob's game, you know, from there on the the numbers overall and the amount of goals that went in against the Bruins weren't as flattering, but he still had those, you know, grade a difficult stops. I mean, Brad Marchand on a breakaway in the dying seconds with your season on the line and you stop him cold. So, um, You know, in a small sample, sometimes you got to throw the numbers out, but it's interesting, like, as good as he's been overall, that series, they weren't as impressive, and since then, he's been
0: otherworldly. I have been impressed with the uh, mental strength of both goaltenders uh, coming through um, incredible challenges uh, through the Stanley Cup playoffs, and Bob just seems to be uh, stoic in that uh, almost typical Russian face where nothing changes, and Aiden Hill is the surfer dude uh, from Vancouver Island uh, over at he's not from Tofino, but uh, he would fit right in over there, where he's just chill, loose, and relaxed. And uh, they handle it differently, or they approach it differently, they portray it differently, and uh, it's almost like uh, what uh, what our good friend would do uh, with our upcoming uh, mind seminar uh, on on how you handle things and you uh, man- manipulate your surroundings to to best fit your your mental approach.
1: I have enjoyed seeing Bob smile occasionally. I don't know, maybe it's uh, just a contrast from what we're used to. But definitely, if you'd like to have the mental game of a Sergei Bobrovsky or an Aiden Hill, that little edge that separates you from the rest of your competition, we would love to see you join us on June 24th in Vancouver with our good friend, Pete Fry, the goalie mindset guy. Pete is doing a full day where he runs through his complete repertoire of skills and techniques. For becoming the best goaltender you can become. It's a hands-on, very active day. And this year it concludes with an hour on the ice where you get a chance to put into action all the things that you've learned in the classroom. And if you can't join us on the 24th in Vancouver, you can still join us online. And as we love to do, we're offering a discount for every in-goal member. And if you're not a member yet, but you want to come and join us, whether online or in person with Pete, it's not too late to sign up and become an in Goal member today.
0: Boy, what a busy uh, couple of weeks for you guys, uh, Woody, with Pete Fry there. And and we've got uh, the wide world of goaltending all descending on, on Langley.
1: And Pete Fry will be there.
0: Yeah, no. Oh, really?
2: Mm-hmm. So will Ian Clark. So will Mackenzie Skapsky uh, amongst the featured guests at Tendy Fest, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, putting on their, it's back. It's back, baby. Tendy Fest and I don't that know. There's a little the hell Bob that Cole. was. Tendy Fest is back. It's uh it's it's back and uh it's in Langley this year. Um make sure you check out all the uh social media of the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com, Twitter, Instagram uh for all the details. There'll be prizes, there'll be all the major manufacturers and I guess yes, we're bringing special guests for Q&As and interview sessions. But the biggest thing for everyone is a chance to try all the gear. Uh, Bauer's bringing a massive inventory. CCM, Brian's, Vaughn, Warrior, they're all going to be there. Reps from the companies are coming in. Like the, the big reps, the big dogs from these companies, they know how important the hockey shop is when it comes to the goalie department and the work they do. They're coming up to Vancouver. They're bringing lots of gear so you can get on the ice and try the latest and greatest and see, you know, if fits your game. You know, we talk a lot about Bauer and the uniqueness of their pads. Warrior with the slide plates. You're going to hear all about the slide plates from our special guest, Ben Bounds, our feature guest this week on the Ingo Radio podcast. He's used them. He loves them. Um, if you're wondering what it's like to get on the ice and try some of these innovative, new sort of technologies that are out there, but you know maybe you're a little old school or you're just used to what you're used to. This is the perfect opportunity to try before you buy. Get out on the ice, take some shots, move around, slide around. Um, I think they're going to have two sheets going all day, uh, so make sure you check out thehockeyshop.com and all their social media for details. June seventh in, pardon me, June seventeenth in Langley, uh, Tendy Fest is back and promises to be. And better what do you guys ever. have
0: lined up for it?
2: We're going to bring some Sensorina. Arena. We're going to bring Hodge.
1: Woody's there. Pete's there going to be a fun day we're going to we're going to hang out and talk goaltending with people we're going to share our experiences with all the different gear and all the different coaches and goaltenders we get to hang out with and just uh give everybody a chance to see what uh, in goal is all about but sensory i think i know normally we thank our sponsor sensorina before the feature interview but every time we talk about it i know people are trying to picture what this virtual reality tool for goaltending is all about Now you can actually come on out, get your hands on it, and find out exactly what Sensorina is all about. Because we'll have a couple of headsets at our table, and uh, we'll be able to sort of walk you through what that Sensorina experience is. You can come, give it a try, see how you fare against NHL shooters, and uh, see how you fare against other goaltenders around the world. And then maybe you'd like to give Sensorina a try. And if you do, head over to Sensorina.com and use the fancy code IGM50, and you'll save even more. Bled that one in early. Thank you, Darren.
0: Nicely done. Uh, our feature interview this week, uh, Ben Bounds uh, from the uh, British Pro League, uh, British National, uh, did a great job at the World Championships, gained promotion. So uh, the British team is back up into the uh, to the top pool. Uh, a lot to go on with that uh, as the, uh, the man from Cardiff uh, will stop by in just a little bit. And we've also got our gear segment uh, to feature the uh, Vaughn V10 line, which I, I'm trying to get my head around uh, around this it's the softer pad, but it's a little bit firmer than in the past. like there's an evolution going on with this, but it's still softer relative to everything that we've seen before or uh, which is current on the market. I
2: can see how you'd be confused, Aaron, because you are in the Vegas locker room yes. where Jonathan Quick has a pad that is skinned as a V10, but you could probably grab it and fold it up like a pillow.
0: I watch him. With his pads, and I'm like, I can't I I would need three Volkswagens to fall on uh my pads to be able to bend them as much as his do uh when he's sliding across the ice.
2: So that's where the confusion lies. This is not as soft as the old school Vaughn. It has gotten stiffer, but it is still relative to their SLR line, their softer pad. I'd be honest with you though, don't listen to me. Let's go to the expert, let's talk to Cam, get all the details in this week's gear segment on the new Vaughn V10 line. I know our audience has been asking for it. Like, I can't remember who it was. I apologize. I don't have it in front of me. But whoever kept every review we did, when's Vaughn V10, when's Vaughn V10? Well, they finally got it in stock, which means we're finally able to deliver to you in this week's gear review. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop. Source first sports out here in Langley. We're in Camp's Corner, Camp's Crease, Goalie Utopia, whatever you want to call it. We have new gear today. We do. And a lot of people on the YouTube channels have been asking, when are you going to have the Vaughn V10 review? Give the people what they ask for. Well, I've been really tempted for the last few months to respond when we actually get the gear, but it's here. So let's talk about it. Vaughn V10, what's going on, Cam? Well,
3: now that it says V10, so it's more V-awesome. No, nah, no one? Crickets? All right, to the pad. So, new redesigned de- pad this year. Actually, probably one of the biggest changes I've seen in the Velocity Series uh, since a long time that I can think about. Um, now, what's being brought over from especially the SLR Series that we should definitely point out. So, I want to go first for the actual balance stabilizer knee. So, Vaughn first debuted this. Hold, 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 hold on, hold on.
2: Before we get into the specifics, before you dig into all the nitty-gritty, what kind of pad is it?
3: A leg pad? Just the
2: velocity line has traditionally been a soft, flexible pad. You just Correct. said there are SLR properties. Yes. So is this still a soft, flexible pad?
3: To a point. So as we talked about before, this is the wrong way to show flex. But. <laughs> However. We have a much, much, much stiffer upper thigh than what we've normally seen in past years from the Velocity Series pad.
2: So this is a stiff, the V10 is a stiffer Velocity.
3: That's correct. Okay. Especially from the knee. up. all right. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, balance stabilizing. So what this means is now we're getting more stability in terms of the knee cradle of the pad. So in previous years, there's always been quite a bit of uh, flex in the actual knee cradle itself for the Velocity Series. So now when we look at this, much more stability when you're dropping down to the butterfly. That's going to allow the pad to sit nice and flush, not want to roll on you. Um, we're still going to get a little bit of uh, like rotation to the pad itself. That definitely helps in terms of when you're on the post, just to kind of get over top of your pad a little bit more rather than being like a brick on your leg. Um, but that said, definitely a nice upgrade, great overall feel and definitely adds to the overall stability of the pad itself. How did they achieve
2: it? We've seen like, we've seen Bauer build it into the face of the pad, uh, we've seen CCM build a
3: one solid, this part is one solid piece to create that. How did Vaughn how did do it? A lot of Velcro, um, also carbon uh, going into the core of the pad right here, you can see it. You can also see a bit of a drive system in that to that wedge in that corner as well. So between lacing, resetting up the Velcro, and actually, uh, helping to integrate that middle sack into the, core, the side of the core of the pad as well. We have, uh, we have achieved a more stable knee. I said, pardon? Middle sack? Um, this, this adds some adjustability? That's correct. So, again, that entire cradle we can move and adjust slightly too as well. That will help with fit. Complete removal. Comes right of, out. On that outer uh, knee flap as well. I like that. That's good. Yeah, easy way to remove. And it's also clean now too. Uh, beyond that little piece there that gives it a nice uh, flush look. So especially if you are dropping that strap down to the back of your calf, that will help aid in that rotation and get rid of uh, that outside flat for you. OK,
2: leg channel. Um, see some difference on the strapping. Yes. Um, but again, like like I think of a Von Velocity line is something that you would wear snug, because I think it is a softer pad that you want to move with your leg so you would wear it a little tighter. This looks like a pretty snug leg channel.
3: Correct. So first of all, yes, they have redesigned their leg channel. Two Velcro strappings, they're calling it their RRC Plus Rotation Control Plus system. We get that adjustability, so we can actually take out this strap and move it inwards so you can get a rider fit out of that leg cradle uh, stock. These straps come over and wrap around. That's what's giving you your fit of the pad itself.
2: Or you can move this entire strap to the inside of the
3: chair. Correct. To even give you like, even more of like, we'll call it like a super tight fit. That is super tight, all right. That's correct. And one central calf strap to close everything off to give you your strapping system. Um, Gone is the actual rotation strap from, uh, like, just on top of the calf itself. The professor strap. Correct. But what you gain, though, is these two straps can give you that basically similar feel based on how tight it is against the leg, but still not sacrifice any of that rotation as you're dropping down into that butterfly. But
2: you do, you've lost that sort of, for the, for those who want that professor strap sitting up on top of the calf, that's no longer, like, I don't see a lacing, even the option to lace one in.
3: That's correct, yes. Okay.
2: Uh, boot. As I turned it around by accident, this looked very different.
3: Tabletop it does boot. look very different uh, from a classic mod. Sort of
2: true-esque in terms of that. Flat, I'm trying to think of other companies that have that flat sort of tabletop
3: design there. Actually, most people are, are kind of moving that way. Even for example, Bauer, to think of one as well um, with the newer uh, Hyperlite 2, which is on the way. Um, really Everything. Yes, we've gone with that flatter boot construction. What this also does is kick the pad up quite high on the leg. It's one thing I can't stress enough so far. This pad's been fitting quite a bit bigger. You told me you had a six foot three goaltender that fit a thirty three inch knee. True story.
2: I think you're full of. No, it happened. It's real. Shortest legs ever. <laughs> well,
3: I mean, this is so one of them.
2: Clearly, the point is this makes a big difference. Correct. Fit. Account for it, especially if you're looking to order a Bond product online. The V10 is going to fit taller than your past
3: model. That's correct. Yeah, it's not your deep, um, soft. But, I mean, it still is a soft boot. We still got lots of flexible, but it's not that deep uh, boot channel anymore. Very tabletop. It will set up on your leg. Um, stock, Velcro toe ties, not the clips that we saw in the V9. They're now Velcro attachment. So, a little bit of a nicer feature there. Always their quick slide material on the side of the pad. That brings down all the way throughout their lineup as Pretty well. Much the same as Brian's Opti Slide. Yeah, very, very similar material. Really similar. <laughs> so, overall, a nice kind of redesign. If you are looking for a little bit of a stiffer pad, or if you've modded your pads in the past in the Velocity series to get a stiffer upper thigh, uh, look no further than the new V10 leg pad.
2: Real quick, because those that like to buy the pads like to buy the gloves and blocker cam. What are we looking at with the, the glove? I am wearing the what?
3: The V10 glove. So this still falls in the line of their standard Velocity series, but we have seen a redesign here. We have gone for a single piece cuff. Um, so typically something we've only seen in the xp line or the slr line um again this is just modernizing that overall 60 break that is a 60 degree break nice call out um kevlar in the palm itself to help with that impact Yeah, hey, you're getting a good squeeze look at that see brand new glove off the wall too i got his hand so nice deep wide open pocket with the double t as well uh, honestly great overall feel if you've liked the velocity gloves in the past you're still going to feel comfortable in this even though it has changed that overall cuff design Um, A little bit more focused on the catching surface and the overall presence of the glove as well. But if you don't like that one, we still do have their XP series, which basically is going to feel like your CCM, your True, your 590 glove. That overall closer, especially bringing that index finger down to the base of your thumb. Blocker. Velocity blocker. Nice thing is here, again, you're going to feel pretty comfortable if you're coming from previous Velocity series. A bit cleaner up on the actual cuff, or uh, sorry, the actual uh, sideboard of the blocker itself. Um, a little bit more rigid as well, just to provide a bit better uh, of a seal and also a solid surface, especially for those pucks catching you in that side of that blocker as well. Previous years, this has been pretty flexible. This is quite a bit more of a rigid material. They have added their carbon into that sidewall. Um, overall, good feeling, good balance. Neutral hand position? Exactly. B10. Check it out here at www.thehockeyshop.com or give me a call here at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790 to check it out. We have the Pro Carbon series in. We are still awaiting our Pro pads, so as soon as we have them, they will be up onto the website. Just to clarify, Pro Carbon, domestically made, Pro is going to be their Offshore series. For
2: everybody that tagged us in comments on damn near every review we did for the past two months asking for the V10,
0: there you go. You did it again. Just as uh, we were coming off uh, that conversation with Woody and Cam, you, you, I don't know whether you heard it or not, but Hutch just jumped in with one final word. And then uh, I was like, what, what am I doing wrong? Uh, but, that, but that was great to hear uh, about the V10 because uh, it cleared up uh, some of my uh, opinions about it from people that I've just talked to or, or read about uh, the, the V10 line. And it just uh, solved a couple of, uh, of questions.
2: It's like, there's still a, like, listen, we did this review, this overview, right after we did the Bauer Hyperlite, and it couldn't be two more different pads. This one is a little thicker, it's a little heavier, it's a lot softer, even though Hyperlite's the softer line. Like, there is a traditional feel. If you want to feel your outer roll, like that firm block on the edge of your pad, um, if you want a pad, that's got soft sort of foams connecting to the back of your leg, like this is a much different feeling pad, um, than, you know, where a lot of things are headed. So, and it will soften up, it will break in, you know, more than some of the other products. So there is a, there's a very specific, you know, type of goaltender that's going to want this style of pad. Um, there's a place for it. It's just, you know, it is a lot more of a traditional pad there than what, you know, a lot of people are used to or where a lot of companies are going is what i should say
0: what would be the direct comparable to a, a ccm pad or a bauer pad it's it's not an axis two comparable like it's it's not gonna the puck's I not gonna make a noise a pound off uh down I, the ice
2: i don't think there's a comparable on the bauer side frankly okay i mean even though hyperlite 2 is their more flexible pad i just don't think there's a comparable there's nothing that no, there isn't. There, there, this is just a completely different style of pad. Um, you know, for true, this is going to be more like a, you know, what I guess a twelve point two Hutch. They're sort of their heritage line. Um, you know, CCM probably closer to an E flex. Um But but e- but even then, right? Like. A lot more traditional, whereas E-Flex 6 now has that knee stack, that one-piece knee stack built in. This is a more traditional build. Even though they've tried to firm it up, still a more traditional build.
0: Progress or they're offering something different uh, in the sense they've, they've made some progress, but still holding on to that, that core lover of that, that pad.
2: Trying to blend the two, right? Yeah. Like trying to add those modern elements without going all the way because when you add like for example on the e when you add that one piece knee the thigh rise has to be stiffer because that inner edge is is one piece and so if you want a a thigh rise that you can really you know bend and shape significantly then vaughn has that right one that's going to soften up you know not maybe not quite to the jonathan quick degree but a lot more than a lot of the more modern pads are so they're they're walking that line they're trying to blend both worlds and and like i said there are there are upgrades there um there are improvements from past generations. They continue to move it forward, but it looks like they're not trying to lose touch with the origins of that line specifically.
0: It's funny because if you stay in in that line, you think uh nothing gets any better than this uh the soft the comfort everything about it, the flexibility. But then you go to a to a harder pad, and I'll use the access two line again and and you try that and you you stop two pucks where the it just rockets off the pad. And and out of the danger area and you're like, I I can never I can never return to something softer. Well, and everybody see,
2: and everybody's different. And you know what the answer here is? Come to TendiFest so you can try them all and see. Awesome stuff. If if you've been stuck in your old ways and you want to try the new, you might be like Darren. You'd be like, man, I can't go. I need that active rebound. I need to buy my time on, uh, you know, before my second save. Or you might be somebody that puts it on. It's just like, this is too stiff. It doesn't move with my leg. I can't get used to this. And that rebound ended up on a defenseman's stick, and I'm screwed anyways.
0: I like the fact that it comes off so fast. It, uh, it screws up the, uh, opposition stick and they, it, it's there too fast. So, uh, otherwise it's, it's just lying right out in the open. Hutch, you know that from your leather pads.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm speechless. You make a save, you can feel it through <laughs> yeah. the pad and then it's, it's right there. Sure could. And then it didn't go anywhere,
1: did it? But uh, yeah, in comparison to that, that we talk about pads that have this great rebound kick and that some that sort of deaden the rebounds, uh, nothing deadens the rebound today like uh, pads used to. And in my books, I'd way rather have something now that's going to kick that thing way past the guy who's uh, standing on the front of the net looking to collect the garbage.
0: Kick it out, Dan. Kick it out hard. Uh, What does our buddy uh, Ben Bounds use? Uh, We'll get into uh, his career as we go through uh, the evolution of some British hockey and the winning on the world stage and getting back into the April this this is an awesome story from like the, the the best of the best when it comes to British hockey history that uh, that we're talking about this week. Yeah, maybe the best
2: goalie in the history of Great Britain hockey. Um, certainly, I I can't think honestly. I think that's a statement we can make and. You know, he's had them at the top level of the World Championship stage before. He's gotten them back there with a big, I mean, he had three shutouts in five games at the World Championship 1A tournament just recently, which was in Nottingham, in in, in Great Britain. Um, so in front of the home crowd. And there's some great lessons here. Um, working with different coaches, something he's done. He used to come over to North America to work with David Marcoux, but I think the goalie coaching level that's available to him back home has reached a level where they don't need that anymore. So there's some lessons in here about the evolution of the position and the coaching of it um, in Great Britain. There's some great mindset lessons in here. He's ta- He talks about so, sort of how he manages um, big moments and how that's evolved over the years. Uh, there's a lot of great takeaways here. And then we geek out on gear. Um, so if you're a fan of Warrior and you want to hear about that, he was in the, the, the Bauer before uh is moving back to the warrior something he's used before so he talks about the glove he talks about the speed plate talks about a lot of we geek out a little bit on everything so he is a uh he's you're you're gonna pick up on this pretty quick he's a he's a goalie geek and proud to be one and so it's a great conversation i really enjoyed having it and i appreciate his time
0: and before we get into it uh tell us what's happening at sensorina sensorina vr which presents our feature interview each and every week on ingle radio the podcast
1: well, Darren, we know the best thing anybody can do right now is come to TendiFest because if you want to check out Sense Arena, Woody and I are going to have a couple of headsets there. You can come try it on, try a couple of drills, face some NHL shooters, try some of the neurocognitive training, face a power play, a couple of drills are going to test your skills. Yeah, they've even got shooters who can hit their spots every time. So maybe you want to come and try that. And of course, it is fantastic We think the best off-ice training for goaltenders in terms of working on your skills and your vision and so on. But it's actually kind of cool, too, because they've added all sorts of new features, like a crowd that's going to be there, multiple rinks you can work in. You start to see the puck marks now on your hands, your glove, your blocker. Uh, You can replay from different perspectives to see what that saved look like. Like sensorina has come so far. It was already groundbreaking when it first came out. And then it's just growing in leaps and bounds. Training programs from all sorts of different pro coaches. Content now from USA Hockey. There's just all sorts of great stuff. And we just think summer, off-season, probably the best time to grab it. Because now you can be training every single day as you get ready for your season to come.
0: It is the best. I love it, and uh, I get into this rhythm with it, and you, you, you can't stop because you get just so involved and uh, engrossed in the moment, and you're, you're dropping pucks. That's uh, one of the cool parts. You're making glove saves, and you're just uh, absolutely dialed in like you're actually on the ice.
1: So one of the things that's cool about Sense Arena is you can do some things that you wouldn't normally take practice time Uh, to work on because maybe your coaches are watching you've you've got certain expectations and so on so this one day i decided i'd try the mike smith sean burke school of goaltending you know just stand on the goal line and see how many pucks i could pick off and i know that's not what they're all about but but that's the perception and it worked like it worked really well i couldn't believe the number of pucks that i could pick off it just it didn't even seem right i thought it was a really cool experience and so whether you want to do that or you just want to stand there and watch pucks go past so you can read learn to read releases you can learn to track pucks better you've got that freedom to try all sorts of things because you can always hit reset you can always do it again and there's no coach watching you
2: i saw recently that that's one of the things that devin levi does um, does the releases. That's one of the drills he likes to do where he takes the pro releases, but he watches for all the other details. Like that's how accurate it is. You can pull a Craig Anderson where you don't watch the puck and just watch all the other details and then see where the puck's going and see start building those cues as to what it looks like when it's heading top glove, what the hands look like, what the hips look like, what the shoulders look like. So the next time you're on the ice, all of that stuff becomes instinctive. It's such a cool tool that you're able to take that type of real world um, environment and bring it indoors and train without having to go by ice to that degree with goalies at that level. That's I mean, you got something. No kidding. Like We've been espousing its its uh, virtues for years here, but that's
0: like, to me, the ultimate testimonial of how good this is. Move the lines, uh, the borders, uh, so to speak. Uh, no no bounds. Uh, that's our feature interview this week. Uh, have fun listening to Ben from Britain.
2: Really excited to welcome first-time guest on the Ingo Radio podcast uh, from Britain, Great Britain. Uh, recently named goaltender of the tournament at the World Championship 1A. Helped his country get promoted back to The main group for the World Championships next year, Ben Bounds. Ben, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you coming on.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Well, I I want to start with that tournament and how I think anybody that saw it on social media, saw some of the clips after that maybe didn't have a chance to watch it live or know what was going on. How important and how big a moment that was both for ice hockey in Great Britain, for you, for that team. To get back onto the main stage at the World Championships to to have that result and and be able to get back to next year's level.
4: Well, I, th- I think it goes without saying it's it was massive no matter what. But I think just to be able to do that on home ice um, and obviously experience it the way that we did and the the British fans experience it the way that the, the way that they got to, uh just made it a little bit more special. I think it was the best chance that we had, especially with the with the groups being a bit weak and now obviously with Russia and Belarus obviously not being in there as and and that kind of filtering downwards, um, it was our best chance ever to just get straight back up. So there was a lot of pressure on us to do that. There were still teams in there that were good, still teams that could damage you. And uh, if you had an off night, you you were going to be in trouble. And luckily for us, we had we had five good games. And the couple of games that we had that weren't quite up to our standard, we we didn't really get hurt, which was a sign that we were the best team in that tournament. So it, it was definitely a big one for us.
2: Biggest get? I mean, you played... Uh, You played internationally. This is like, I think 11 years since you first made the senior national team, 2012 to 2023. So you've been a part of the program for a long time, obviously playing professionally over there. Where does that rank in terms of biggest moments? Because as you said, it was in Nottingham. It was in, it was in your home country in front of your home fans. Do you, did you see it as, you know, an opportunity beyond just taking the step to, you know, something you've done all along the way, build the game over there as well. And the, and the attention it receives.
4: Yeah. Generally, I think it's it's probably my most memorable, out of everything that I've won, that's probably the most memorable moment in my career so far. I mean, it's uh, I always tell people when they ask me what it is, the, the last couple of minutes, I mean, the, Brits, the Br- British fans are kind of reserved. Uh, they're not like the European fans, not like the North American fans. They, they kind of sit there, they, they cheer for a goal and then go back to being a bit quieter and they'll get into it, let you know if you're not playing well or whatever. But that, that week was just something different. The, the fans were totally different. It was... It's, it's kind of hard to explain unless you're actually there or unless you've experienced a, an experience of the, um, an atmosphere in this league and experienced that atmosphere that week. But the the last one minute forty or something like that after we sealed it with the empty net, I went back to my net and just just took it all in. I mean, it was it was crazy seeing uh, an arena like that in Nottingham with just the nine thousand people just just going absolutely crazy and it just your, your family to your left up in their stands and and friends and everything. I mean, I even had some school friends that were there. Uh, who I had not seen for about ten years. I mean, that that was pretty cool. Um, we, we've played. In, don't get me wrong. We've played in front of more more fans. I mean, you play in Finland against the number one seed in the world at a time in front of fifteen thousand people, but they're always against you. Budapest when we won the gold medal was in front of ten thousand Hungarians, and that atmosphere was unbelievable. But they're all against you. So to finally have that on our side and and do it, and like I said, it, it was a big, big moment for British hockey, and uh, to just get it over the line, it, it was uh, that week's probably the most pressure I've ever felt in my life. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was. It was nice to just kind of get across that finish line and then just let it all out.
2: Okay. So let's translate that to uh, maybe find. We'll find a little takeaway here. How would you manage all that pressure? Like for anybody that's going into the biggest game of you know at any age group, it could be even us old farts playing beer league, right? Like the big championship game. You make a provincial tournament or something. You've got friends in the stands. You got family. People actually watching you what like how do you manage such a big pressure moment are there tools that you've developed over the years to make sure that as much as you enjoyed that last minute 40 looking up there the you know the first whatever it is 58 minutes and 20 seconds you were dialed in on what you needed to do
4: all right well i said it's, i probably keep the biggest key or biggest change that i've made is probably in the last half a year or so uh where i started i started using um Few more verbal keys out loud, kind of talking to myself. Seems seems a little bit crazy, but I've never really spoke about it to like openly like this. But I, I did struggle with a bit of kind of anxiety towards the game for the last probably three or four years. It just built up because obviously in the elite league, it's it's slightly different, which we, we might end up touching on later on. But it's not like your like your traditional hockey league where the playoffs are the big thing. The big thing in Britain is a league, so every single game is a game seven. And when you're playing in a pressure cooker like Cardiff, and the expectance is to win uh, every every night, is like I said, it's a game seven. So I think that it kind of built over the years, and the the kind of need to win, and obviously being a being a goalie, you kind of take a lot of the blame for that personally, uh, and obviously through through social media, through the media stuff like that. So um, I think I did kind of struggle with it probably for the last two, three, maybe even four years, uh, until this year when I finally realised what it was, what that that I was kind of struggling with a little bit, and. I got some help from someone in in Britain, and it, it come up with um, with just just using some verbal keys. And me and uh, my goalie coaching Cardiff sat down and said, "Right, what what are the keys to my game when I'm when I'm playing my best? When I'm playing great, what are they?" And it'll just be speaking out loud. So it's just basically shoulders over, eyes on the puck. That's it.
2: So okay, so let's go back to them. I want to go back to them, but it's funny you said that, like it it feels crazy to say it, but like we've seen it, we've we've had articles, right? Like. We got guys in the National Hockey League that will write their three keys on the paddle of their stick and look down as a reminder, something that centers them and allows them to anchor themselves in, in the moment and not let the other thoughts take over. So I don't think it's, I, I, it's a great thing. How'd you come up with yours and what did they mean to you?
4: Well, I mean, when, when you're talking about things being written on equipment, as a kid, I used to have be a warrior on because I used to be a massive Patrick Wall fan. And obviously that's what he used to have on his blocker. so... I went back to that this year, actually. I actually had uh, Be Proud written on my block. It wasn't Be a Warrior. I thought I'll, I'll come up with my own thing because I know that when I'm proud, I'm that's when I'm at my best. Uh, I'm proud of uh, my effort. I'm proud of my intensity. I'm proud of the, the compete level. So that was a that was a little key. Sometimes it'll be be in the now, be present, be proud. There are three things uh, that I'll just reel off out loud to myself. But most of the time, it's uh, shoulders over, eyes, um, eyes on the puck, follow it in. And the shoulders over is a big one that we, we talked through with my goalie coach. And uh, we realized that when I'm over the puck, uh, my my um, my weight balance is, is better. That's that's when I'm right at the top of my game. And that was it. When, whenever I struggle, it was literally just my shoulders were coming back. I was sitting back, pulling my arms back, and really struggling there because I'm a bit more reactionary, so I need those shoulders forward. And uh, that 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 one tiny change makes such a big difference to my game.
2: Okay, so there's a whole bunch of different threads I want to pull on there, because yeah. it's funny. The Be A Warrior one, we just had Colin Delia. He just his first year at the Vancouver Canucks this year, and I noticed that Colin had it stitched on his blocker, and he told the same Patrick Waugh story. He still has yeah. it stitched <laughs> on his as well, so I That's love it. That's cool. Yeah, and um, the other part, like, so shoulders over. Are we talking, like, just sort of rounded and making sure the hands are forward? Because because we do see some guys will sort of pin them back, and it, it does affect where your hands end up placed, and it does affect sort of how your back is arched, and that can affect a lot of our mechanics as a goaltender.
4: Yeah, I mean, when I'd, I'd say before I went to Graz, I used to be very kind of intense, uh, very blocky. I was, pro- I was probably, well, I, I was overweight and uh, didn't move the best because we never had a lot of lot of kind of training. Uh, through the COVID, obviously, I shredded a lot. Obviously, going to Europe, you're like, right, yeah, uh, I need to get more mobile. But then, unfortunately, the first period of the third game, I blew my knee. Um, a guy got hit on top of me, and I ended up missing fifteen weeks. Came back and had to kind of relearn my game, relearn my body, um, and I, I became a bit more. I it became a bit more of an active goal, a bit more reactionary stance, and and, and that's just something that progressed from working with the goalie coaching Graz, and then working with Ewan King at GB straight after that, and through the elite series that they had during COVID, um, and it it just basically it's. It's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of rounded, uh, but I think when people say it's get your gloves forward, I think a lot of goalies have a tendency to just shove their arms kind of like, just kind of straight forward. Uh, And that makes everyone kind of tense. You can't react, then you're not really relaxed. So for me, my arms are always kind of relaxed, but as soon as I move my shoulder forward, get my chest over pucks, that's when I uh, I find that I'm at my best, most reactive, most relaxed, and uh, the arms are nice and loose.
2: So that's a, that's a transition that you've made in your career later on. Like, from it sounds like, and, and it's a big question, but it sounds like there's been quite an evolution. And I, I'm guessing there would be various stages of it. But that's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Graz is what, three years ago? So that's somewhat recently for you.
4: Yeah. And uh, that's, that's probably what I found tough. And luckily, I managed to just key it in right in time for Riga at the World Championships that year. But um, it all kind of just fell into place. But I mean, it was even like a change my paddle. I used to be in a 27 inch bower. Um, and I changed to uh, 26 Warrior, which I think is a 25.5 Bower paddle. Uh, but I used to, it was on the blue line, I'd be in full stance, ready to go like intense as, as everyone wants to be. Um, and now, obviously, if it's up on the blue line, I'm almost stood up. Uh, you see, I think it's you watch Kerry Price. I mean, you you see how relaxed he is when it's up at the top. And you think, well, the best in the world do that. Then maybe I should try it as well. And to be fair, I found that it was a lot more economical, uh, it, it wasn't as draining both mentally and physically, and obviously as, as the knee was getting back to back to full health and being able to bend it again properly, it was a massive help not having to be in that squat position, like the full squat, 100% intensity all the time.
2: I was going to say, just from uh, managing your body and managing the fatigue, I'm guessing you noticed that difference right away, relaxed, and again, I th- when I think of intense, I think probably a little wider in the stance, a little more dug in, did you narrow things up as well?
4: Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, I say now it's, it's definitely a little bit, little bit narrower. Not, not too much. Yet. I think I was kind of keyed on before uh, where I wasn't too wide anyway. Because I always find if it was too wide, I, I just couldn't move at all. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, I'm definitely narrower than what I used to be. But uh, it's that comes also with because obviously when you when you stood up a bit straighter, you, you're going to be narrower naturally. Uh, obviously, as they get closer in and, and they get into that either whether it's a blocking zone or into the kind of gray areas as we call it, where you don't have time to react and you give up too much net to just block uh, then i'll be then i will be low and wide just trying to take as much away as i can and relying on my instincts really
2: i wanted to ask you about the goalie coaches um you know you mentioned and, I, and I, this is a selfish personal thing too uh you mentioned the time in graz who who were you working with there because i i think we might know a few people have gone through that town
4: uh, i was working with a swedish goalie coach called nisa Landon. Okay. Uh, he uh, he was part of the Swedish national goalie program for quite a while. I think he worked with the under 20s specifically while I was in Graz, uh, and then I think it was the year after I was in Graz, he was at Spartak Moscow, I want to say something like that. Yeah. Uh, so he went to the KHL for a year, uh, and then I think obviously when I, everything happened, he, he came back to Sweden. I think he was back with the Swedish Federation again.
2: Okay. So what? Any other? you obviously mentioned Ewan King, who um you know we I've had the I've had the pleasure to meet at at sort of goalie conferences over here. I know he comes over to uh to you know some of the things that they do in North America in terms of symposium type stuff. Um and you mentioned a goalie coach at Cardiff as well. History with goalie coaches because I'm guessing they weren't always present for you growing up learning to play the position. A lot of there was probably a lot of self-taught moments in there as well.
4: Yeah, definitely. And I mean growing up I was kind of looking at the Sheffield junior system where we did have a lot of kind of ex-goalies or young goalies that were coaches. So you get a little bit of help, but it wasn't. It was never full on. Uh, obviously, you owe them kind of a lot just for teaching you the basics at the time. But a lot of it was self-taught, and that's why I think one of my big strengths now is just competing because uh, sometimes you should, you didn't have the technique, so you just had to compete, just just make a save however you could. And because like, I know as long as that puck stays out, no one's going to really care how, how it looks. But uh, I'd say that um, there was a big influence in the EPL, which is the league. It used to be the league below the elite league at the time, my first full year there, I finished goalie called Passy Wright, and he was a big mentor. I mean, I used to be quite serious and everything. And when I saw him play and saw how good he was, and then I saw him off the ice and how chilled, how relaxed, how fun he was, that kind of hit home well. You don't have to be so intense. And Passy and, and me still talk regularly. I mean, he was at my wedding a few years back, and I'll be seeing him uh, when we go back up north in a couple of weeks as well. So that's kind of cool. Um, goalie coach, that card, if we I had Dan Brabham, who um he came and helped us from probably halfway through my first year and that was I started helping out with the junior programme in Cardiff and Dan was um Dan was already a goalie coach on that. And I, he'll probably he won't mind me saying this, but when I kind of first saw him I'm thinking, Who who is this guy? Like he, he can't know anything about goalie. He just looked like he's just like like he didn't have a clue. And then uh one day he started speaking to me and he asked me why I why I did something and uh he he, he started talking more and I got to know and I realized actually he's a bit of a geeker. He, he knows a lot uh, about and a lot more than what he looks. So he was really good. And he, he kind of came in. He was part-time. He'd be at most of the home games and come to training like once or twice a, twice a month. In preseason, he'd be there most days as well. Uh, he was a big, big help again. Uh, really helped me get going. Obviously, we won a few championships together in Cardiff. Um, and then, like I said, then we moved to Graz. That's where we had Nisa um kinger with gb and then in um in slovakia i had uh, peter kosa he's called who was actually the slovak national team goalie coach uh, a few years back
2: all those different voices at all those different times were there you know you mentioned that hey I, I wear the goalie geek label proudly so no worries there different ideas being brought to you were there times where you maybe something you that was being introduced you didn't love but you had to try like a lot of kids go through this right new coach every year at the younger levels they want me to do this but i feel like i'm better doing that how do you balance that
4: yeah that that was a tough one i think uh the biggest struggle i had was probably entrenching uh, i think peter wanted me to be, be a bit more blocking style which doesn't naturally suit me um i'm more of, like I say i'm i'm not the most technical goalie because i didn't grow up with technique and uh I think he wanted me to block a bit more and I I prefer to be a bit reactionary and control my rebounds a bit better than what maybe a blocking goalie does. And I think sometimes it was through translations well, there was maybe some wires got crossed. Uh, And I think that over there, the the head coach at the time wanted you to kind of look a certain way. So Pete was trying to coach you into that. And I think it did kind of, I struggled at the start of that season. I really struggled trying to get that balance and get comfortable. Um, And then, at the end of the season, I kind of started nailing it a bit more and getting used to it. And unfortunately by then we're, we're out of the playoffs. Um, we got knocked out in the, in the first round. And, and then we we come back to GB for Riga and King is like, "What well, what are you doing? We need to react. You, you need to go back to how you were react more. And uh, I think we just kind of, we didn't have enough preparation that year to really get back into the, back into the swing of things. But this last year at Cardiff, once, once King came in again and, we went back to how it were, and like I spoke about earlier early with the shoulders over, that it, it went back to how it used to be and felt a lot more comfortable. But at the same time, I now take some of the stuff that I learned under Peter, especially the post-play situations, which he really nailed in, and that was a big thing that it re- did really kind of fine-tune for me. It kind of makes my game a lot more whole than what it used to be.
2: Post-play is so important, right? connects all those other movements, and so much of the game is, is becoming about attacking from down low feel free to share some details on some of the things you dialed in there because, again, the audience here is 100% goalie, so things that your average media might not know what you're talking about if you were to answer it, our audience is going to be all over it.
4: Well, I mean, with Pete, we'd probably spend 20 minutes a day just on post play. So, I mean, by the end of the season, especially preseason right at the bat, when you first go back in and get on the ice, your hips are absolutely shredded. But, uh, no, it'd be um, a couple of years back, I actually had an ankle injury. Uh, I tore a ligament in my ankle. So I used to, when I worked with David Marcu, actually, I, I should have mentioned him earlier, David Marku out in Calgary, I worked with him for a few years and, and we were, when I first started working with him, it, that was um, kind of shin against the post, a bit like a tukarask Yeah. Uh, and I did really get used to that. And then it kind of evolved to like skate on uh, skate blade on the post, but I never really liked that because I didn't like the gaps so I was all, I would always get shin. Um, and then it evolved to toe bridge. But once I injured my ankle, it was kind of hard sometimes just for me to get in that position and, and be comfortable but then at the same time i also lost a bit of power uh when i went shin on the post and it is quite hard to transition off your post with the shin so with peter it, it was a lot of more i say post, post but it's a lot of edge work and it, it slow things down a lot and just make you really focus on your edge uh focus on your edges uh playing it flatter playing it squarer bouncing off into different positions and and uh going kind of overlap into the RVH and, and things like that. So it was very it was all the it was all the standard details that you'd expect goalers to know now, but it was just kind of that it was that repetition more and more and more and maybe putting me in certain situations that I'd not been in before during goalie practice and it comes up every so often in the game. But in a game I'd maybe struggle or get lucky. Uh, whereas now I know that because I've worked on it plenty of times in training, it don't matter what the situation is, I'm just gonna pop up and I'd make a save or be in the best position to make a save at least
2: transitions it sounds like transitions in and out of different
4: yeah all transitions whether that's on your knees or whether that's to your feet it's it's a mixture of everything
2: um you you talked about hip shredded talked about the ankle you know shin on post which i I, david would have also worked with with cam ward in in carolina was he was big with shin on post you know i remember we had bob essens on the coach of the bruins and and he used to get questions like tuca's out there winning like getting to cup finals and winning vesna trophies and other goalie coaches would question him Because Tuca was using shin on post. Like, why not go to the other way? And I remember Tuca did it and then ended up with pain and they went back to it. And the 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 idea was, hey, he's good enough. He does this well enough with his shin and moves well enough out of it that that he's fine. And the wear and tear he's saving on his body is worth it for us. Where do you come out on that balance? Is it is it tough to, you know, it sounds like you felt it at times, especially with the ankle injury. Are there times where you have to sort of live to fight another day even if you know you might have a little more power in a toe lock than you would in a shin
4: yeah and i, I think the, the main thing overall for me is once you get used it yeah and you're obviously as you get older as well you learn to look after your body better than when you're younger which you you expect it to be the other way around your body won't feel it as much but it's just just how it is it's, you get wiser you, you start looking after yourself better but uh, i think the big thing that i took out of it all for me is that no matter what the situation now, because I've had all these kind of different inputs and different styles taught. I mean, I've been through all this transition phase. I mean, obviously, as a kid, we didn't even have square pads. We had the old the old style, the more rounded stuff. And um, it's, it's it's been a massive transition and a massive change throughout the whole kind of goaltenders I've grown up. But specifically on the post play now, whether, you're never going to hit your post exactly how you want it every single time. It might be once in a blue moon, you'll hit it perfect um, because everything just, just happens. And it's... We all know the speed and the craziness of what's going on, but because I've learned to use my shin, because I've learned to use a toe bridge, I've learned to use the, the skate blade, no matter how I hit it now, it's, it doesn't kind of send me into a bit of a fluster and like, oh my God, I can't, I can't. What, what's happening? I feel horrible. I know that I can still transition out of it no matter where I am, whether it's, if it's shin, I know I've maybe not got quite as much power, so I'll have to maybe try and react a bit more, whereas the toe bridge, I know that I've, I've got the power. And I've got a seal where escape blade, and I've maybe not got a seal, so I've just got to be a bit smarter about that. But yeah, I think out of everything, the the big things, it just makes me feel a bit more comfortable. I got more tools in my box, and for me, that's that's always a good thing as a goalie.
2: Well, I was going to say, I remember one year Freddie Anderson and and the goalie coach at the time with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Steve Briere, they like they purposely tried to get into positions that weren't perfect, and then have to work your way out of them because the reality, as you said. You're not always going to hit it perfect. The game isn't perfect. If it was, it would be easy for us, right? But it's scrambled. It's chaos.
4: Yeah, exactly. That's what makes it so fun. I mean, there's, if there's nothing more fun to, for me than than having just one mad scramble and making these, these big saves or, I mean, uh, I can't go through some of the names that King uh, used to kind of call them. When it's, there'll be sometimes where I just sit up and take a shot right in the head because I've ended up on my arse somehow. And uh it's it's just that they're the fun moments. You make these saves that you shouldn't make, and they don't look good. Um, you look like you've never played before. You look like you can't skate, but that that's it all comes back to that compete level again. It's that that's the most part. That's the most fun part for me.
2: Where did it start for you? Like you clearly love the game. You like you, you talked about you know all the passion. You it comes through in the way you answer the questions. Where did that all start for you? How did you get started as a goalie?
4: Well, actually, uh, I went to a game. I was six years old, I think, and uh, it's, it's kind of ironic because it was Sheffield Steelers against Cardiff Devils, um, and obviously we're big rivals in this league. But I'm playing for Cardiff now, even though I was a Sheffield, kind of hometown Sheffield boy. So was supporting Sheffield at the time, and now I'm playing for Cardiff um, against them. But um, no, I, I saw it, and I, I don't know why I just gravitated towards goaltending. Towards goal-tending but my parents thought it was just going to be kind of a a craze that might last six weeks or so, and didn't want to spend all the money on the kit. So I started as a as a player um at some local house leagues in sheffield and i ended up in the net mall in the goalie i'd be there in, in in players kept trying to make saves and blocking shots and i think the parents were like well if he's going to do it we might as well protect him and obviously lucky for me either they they got me some goalie kit it was all brown gear at the time uh there's my grandma actually when she was here used to have um a picture on a wall and i'd be all in the brown brown body armor the the brown um, pads and everything and then I'd have a ninja turtle face paint because I'd just been at a kid's party so uh, so I was always kind, of, always kind of cool to see you when you went back but no it's luckily they did that and it, it stayed from there
2: that passion over the years has it become was there a point where I mean you're a kid playing you love it when did it become something that you thought hey like like was the as what were the aspirations what were when did you get into a point where you're like hey this is something I might be able to do at an international level till I'm, you know, 13 years or 11, 12 years as a pro now.
4: I think as a kid, obviously you get, you always want to play in the NHL, right? You know, that's what every kid's dream should be. But it gets to a point, especially being British as well, you kind of realize, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make it to the NHL, but they think, well, if I can make a career in the elite league, then that, that's awesome. Uh, you can still make decent money in the elite league. You can live a good life um and then once I made it pro it was well let's let's make let's get to Europe I want to be the best British goalie that's ever been I I want to be one of the the British goalies played at the highest ever level um if I'm totally honest with GB i never actually envisioned us getting to pool A it 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 did cross my mind but it never it was never like right I'm going to get Great Britain to, to pool A and we're going to play there for three years and then get back up there or anything like that it was kind of just like oh it'd be nice to get up there but I mean when when I kind of took over the starting role, we're in division one B and yeah, it's that it, it's kind of cool. how It all progresses. And I think, so, I think it's, you can never really say, right, this, this is what I want it to be because I think my goals changed every so often. You think, well, actually I'm, I'm better than what I thought. I was. So right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to achieve this. And I think, again, we might get a chance to touch on it later on, but I think being a British goalie is a stigma about British goaltending and uh uh, and about British Golden is not being very good. So the first goal for me was, right, let's dominate the EPL. Let's, and I got to that point where I did, I had a really good last year there. I, I was, I'd was i been training with Hull in the Elite League for three years at this point. And then it was, right, let's get to Hull, let's be a starter in the Elite League. I had a lot of kind of second like 1B offers or backup offers, but I knew that if I went to them, I'd probably just get sat on the bench and not played. Whereas, so I was like, right, I'm not going unless I'm a starter. And then after I got to hold, it's like, right, let's advance to a top team in the elite league. All right, let's win the league. Let's win the challenge cup, let's win the playoffs. And obviously with GB, it's, let's get to the starting job. Let's get us out of 1B and into 1A and then see what happens. And obviously we went on a bit of a, a bit of a roller coaster ride there for a few years.
2: Let's go to it. Let's go, let's talk about the state of the game and the state of the position there. Um, in terms of it sounds like you've had a lot of coaches over the years. Um, But I know someone like you know I think Ewan's had to really sort of invest in himself to become a coach as a job as opposed to coach as something you do on the side. Like where's where is the access to coaching to teaching? Where is the interest level? Um, How have you seen it evolve over the last decade plus? Well, I think when
4: I was when I was. Growing up in the sheffield junior system we we had a lot of coaches that well we all the coaches went there were no there was no parents coaching there could be managers or on the committee, but they were all proper coaches without trying to sound out because they are parents that are proper coaches and I'm not trying to say that they're not rather right. just think it it works better there's no kind. Of, there's not the politics then, and then sadly, they've kind of faded out and I think the state of coaching in the British system now is it's a lot of parents doing it for their kids uh there's not a lot of, they King, uh, so you and has put in a lot of work developing the goalie program. And I think when he um, stepped down from that to work on it himself, I think it took a bit of a nosedive for a few years and now it's on its way back up. But yeah, I think that goalie coaching is, is probably the best, best that it's ever been in Britain right now. Um, as for the whole of coaching, I, I'm not sure. I can't really comment on that because I'm not too invested in that. In the junior clubs, but I do know there's a hell of a lot more parents involved or kind of the, the wrong reason, without that one it's sound horrible. Uh, but then at the same time, that's also better than not having anything because it, it still means that kids can play and kids can get taught something and and these clubs can run. But no, I think definitely goalies, uh, that's that's probably in a better position now with, with the programmes. And I think over the next probably five to ten years, um, the younger generation that are experiencing this from the younger ages will benefit a lot more than uh, what goalies have in the past.
2: Do you take pride in it? Like, do you feel like to be the guy that you talked about not knowing what those steps would be and, and having to make a step in each way to like, hey, not just be satisfied to be here, to make strides and continue to grow, to be a guy who represents at that stage, to be a starter for this many years, um, to go to other countries and play in their top leagues. Do you take some pride in that as, as a guy that I'm guessing other young Great Britain goaltenders can now look at and say, hey, he did it, so can I.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, uh, I can't get goosebumps kind of just hearing you talk about it, to be fair, but I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I never really thought about it, if I'm honest, until uh, a few years back, and I think it was, it was you and who sat down, I, I think it was in Finland, actually, I was going through a little bit of a, bit of a rough spell, and um, obviously Slovakia was, it was a it was a long year, let's just call it that, but uh, he sat down, and he, he said to me, he's like, look, you, you do realise you're the best ever British goaltender, and I know it's, it's not like, a, a Carey Price being the best goalie ever in the world, or Patrick Wall being the best goalie in the world, you know what I mean. It's, but still, I mean, as a as a little Brit from from Sheffield, it's pretty cool to hear that and to be able to break down the barriers and obviously battle against that stigmatism of British goaltenders being bad. It, I am proud of how it's all panned out, and I wouldn't really change anything. Um, and to know that there are young goalies there that look up to you and and kind of want to be you and you you set an example and they see it and say, well, maybe I can do that in the future. Uh, that, that is kind of cool.
2: What, um, and I don't know, and I apologize, and I'm I'm putting you on the spot here cause I'm not sure you would even know, but like how many other, like, as, as you get into the top level there, are there other goals or is goalie a position that's largely imports? Are there other guys starting to take it's, advantage of those opportunities?
4: Well, I'm the, uh, I'm the only starting goalie that's British in this league. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, um when I first came well when I first came into the league, there was me and Stephen Murphy who was a starter for G B just before me. And before I entered into the league there was uh Stephen Murphy and Stephen Lyle, who he was another goal using Cardiff as well, Stevie Lyle. Uh and once uh Lily dropped down to the EPL, uh Murph eventually retired. Uh, and now it's just me being the starter. Um and there's there's Jackson Whistle in Belfast, so you will you will get fifteen twenty games a, a season, maybe slightly more. We know uh, him from over he had, here. Yeah, yeah. So he he had uh, he had a pretty decent year this year, and um, yeah, but it is sad to see that there's only really only really me in the top league in Britain. Uh, and obviously, when you look out to Europe, there's no British goalers. Um, and the league below I mean even even in that league they, that is all British goaltenders I mean they have just brought in a rule where they can use imports which I think is really sad um, when it's a kind of a development league um, and they've already got decent British goalers but I think some of the goals in that league are kind of aging uh, for want of a better word they are I played against someone else in that league 10 11 years ago whatever it was so uh, that that kind of shows you that there's not a lot come through over the last 10 years uh but i do like i said with the stuff that's in place now hopefully we'll start to see some goalies coming through and teams start to give him a chance
2: when you when you came over in the summers uh just to go back to a little bit to to with the work with david obviously we know david from his time with the calgary flames and his time with the carolina hurricanes and coach at the highest level and well regarded what brought you over here what was that experience like compared to the training you'd gotten elsewhere you know as much as he'd worked in the national hockey league it doesn't like you're also working with great coaches over there as well, so I don't want to like categorize one against the other. More, what difference did you, did you notice when you were over here training versus back home?
4: Uh, well, I think David was just a little bit more in detail at that point. Uh, he'd obviously he obviously been around some big goalies and he got a big CV, right? And I think I can remember coming the first time. So our owners in Cardiff actually from Cal, uh, from Calgary, uh, so they they kind of reached out and they had a contact with Marku. Uh, and they got the team flew me out there i live with the owners for uh, uh, about two weeks every year for about four years in a row and i work with uh with david for two weeks straight pretty much uh the odd time i'd go on and do a little skate with um with a couple of the guys that were around whether they were nhl guys or ahl gay, uh, guys or whatever uh, i remember going on a little skate with some of the flames and their prospects one of the years as well um but no coming on with david it, it was just kind of a it was another level a bit more detailed to my game like i said and uh, just really fine-tuning it going into the season. But I can remember the first year, I was a little bit nervous uh, coming into it and thinking, oh, is he going to just think, oh, what does this guy know what he's on about? Like, is he just kind of, is it he's coming from the British League? Is he more of a rec goalie or whatever? And the first week of that was absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> I think I got in my own head. And once I kind of settled down and got used to it, I was fine after that. And uh, yeah, the I, once I got the first week out of the way, the next three years or so were fine. And uh, yeah, I found... Marku to be a really good, really big help.
2: Uh, you just you just needed to have discovered the the mantra the the words to say to you. You just needed to have learned to talk to yourself earlier.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: I wanted to ask you a little bit. Let's go. Let's go to the gear because I know you're a Bauer guy now. I believe last last time I checked, we're in we're in the Bauer kit. Yep. that's a that's a long way from the brown leather.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually, went brown leather. It was a make brown it was yeah so it the oh the, uh, the actual actual, yeah, brown, the actual brand. brown brand oh, okay yeah. so they were they were just kind of cotton pads yeah but um they were but yeah it's, it's still a long way to be fair when i first started the, the junior club in sheffield had a, a set of gold and a kit for people to try and that genuinely was the brown leather pads with like it was a catcher that didn't have any net and it. it was just like a like a catching bit really uh all leather and Proper old school kind of waffle board, as people like to call it. So there yeah. was actually people wearing them while I were in these these nice shiny, well, not shiny because they were just cotton pads, but these uh flashy brown brown pads. And, yeah, they, and just
2: yeah, evolution now. Like uh, with the gear, are you a guy that dials into the gear? Are you geeked out by it? Do you get into all the little nuances as you transition? Or is accessibility is that part of the issue? Like in terms of the ability to go for kids to go get gear. Readily over there is that something that's somewhat easy in in an era of online purchases and and stuff like that, or is it more difficult?
4: uh No, I think it's readily available over here. And it's it's easy for them to kind of tweak stuff. There's uh, the the shop that sponsors me every year? They have a big shop in Sheffield, and they're really good. But no, I, I think for me, I used to be a be a mega mega nerd, okay. used to really dial into it. But I think over the years, it's I've, I've kind of tailed off a little bit. It's it's like well. All these changes that are coming out, these goal tenders in the NHL that you're using, they're going to be fine. I don't don't need to look into it too much, and I'll, I'll adapt to it. I've been in different sets of pads so many years. Um, the the thing that I am kind of big on are my my gloves, because um, I think it it's better having a catcher in a blocker than two blockers. Uh, you don't want to get a reputation for not being able to catch. Um, and next year, actually, we, I'm the club's got a deal with Warrior, so we're actually going back to Warrior. So I've got to go back to Warrior kit next year. Okay. Uh, so that'll be the RG Sixes, I believe, um, and I'll be going for the curve blocker on that. But no, I, I think with the Bowers, um, they they were really good. I mean, the Warriors shocked me when I first used them in Riga, and that's why I stayed with them in Trenchon. And then uh, this year, uh, the the sponsor, likes said, the shop in Sheffield, they uh, I think he wanted me more in Bowers, so I went back to them because I I said the big thing with the Bowers come over the Warriors is the Bower pads are more imposing. Um, that that would be my one thing with the Warriors. The Warriors feel really nice. But I, I just think the bowel pads are more imposing. Um, you mean visually?
2: Like they look they visually bigger? They present bigger? bigger yeah.
4: Okay. yeah they, they just Interesting. They look a little bit bigger, yeah. Uh, I don't know how that is, whether it's the way that they build them or what. I always think the Warriors look a little bit skinny. But, so I've gone with kind of a design for next season that was a bit more styled on the bowels that I had this year to see if that helps with that. Uh, but no matter what happened next year, if I'd have been in bow pads again, I would have gone with Warrior gloves because I still have, I've never worn a glove as, that I've liked as much as the Warrior. The Warrior Glove was just incredible for me. I absolutely love that one.
2: Okay, so are you geeked out enough to be able to tell us which model it was and what you liked about it?
4: So I I just gone for the um, next year will just be the standard RG6, not the 6.1, I believe is the other one. Uh, so it's the six five, the 75 degree break. Uh, and I, to be fair, I always go game ready as well, as, as crazy as that seems. I don't like – I had a practice glove in Gratz. Obviously, that was bowed, but I just felt like that was another blocker and I felt like I was getting into a few bad habits in training. Uh, So I'd rather get, like, three or four catches in and just use game-ready and suck it up in practice to take a stinger every so often and and just feel the same throughout rather than having a practice glove or a pro palm and then a game-ready glove at the weekend. Um, But, yeah, it's the – the one I used this year was Dresses and Mac, but it was a hyper polite, but I just couldn't quite get on with the angle again. I started kind of getting into it down the last probably half, maybe last quarter of the season, but I really struggled to start because it was just so different to the Warrior. But the Warrior, I just felt like it closed differently to any other glove that I've, that I've worn before and just gave me so much more confidence.
2: Oh, well, huge shout out for them. That's This is this this is a nice boost yeah. for, for Warrior right now, so we love yeah. it. Um <laughs> But but probably some people heard that and would be surprised, and I don't think
4: everyone realizes this, you don't always get a choice. No, not always. I mean, I've been lucky enough to pretty much get a choice every year, and this is the first time that I've ever been told, right, we'd, it's part of our deal, it's part of our contract. But I think that also helps them get a better deal with Worry, because Worry were like, well, bounces is what up before. He knows what they're like. We know he hasn't got an excuse to not be in there. Whereas I think if it had been a case where Worry would have come in and the club would have said, right, you have to wear a Warrior, then I might have, and I've never worn them before, then I might have been in position to be like, well, I'm not wearing them, I need to know what's best for me, and, and I probably would have. Uh, I mean, even the the Warriors I had in Riga, they give me a demo set to bring home and try, and I wore it throughout the Elite Series uh, during COVID to get used to it, ready for when I got my own set delivered to Riga. Uh, so I, I, Whenever I change kit, I, I never just jump into it. I always have to try it. I will never jump into a kit and not have tried it at all on the ice before. I need to make sure that I like it because like I said, it's so important to not just your know, game, but how you feel.
2: Well, it's good to know there is some flexibility because we have heard of team deals and they can be more or less rigid depending on who you are and where you're playing. Yeah. But in some cases they can be pretty firm about, Hey, this is what we wear here.
4: Yeah. I mean, in Graz as well, they were a Bauer team. So again, I dropped on every time, every time I've been at a team that said we with this kind of brand. Um, I've been lucky enough to be wearing that brand or be used to that brand already.
2: And now I got to ask have you tried the Warrior with the slide plate on it?
4: That's what I wore in in Trenching, yeah, and in uh, Finland.
2: So you did wear it with, and what do you like? Because we haven't had a lot of experience with it. So give us your overview, what you liked.
4: It was was fast, very, very fast, lightning fast. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to use it in Cardiff next year. Um, I might just go straight with it because I felt like when so I, I had the speed, but I felt like it was a little bit harder to control at times because you were just moving so fast, right? Um, and it felt like you you had to really tone down the amount of power you put you put into pushes, uh, which is good because again it's more economical and you're losing less energy. But it did kind of mess. It's an adjustment. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and for me, it was when I got the pads in Trenching because I, in Trenching I had the RG fives, but. It was like a hybrid because they gave me all the internals of the RG6 and the speed plate, but uh, it was dressed as an RG5 because they hadn't released the sixes yet. Um, but I, because of COVID, the gear didn't come till December because the factory shut down. So I had to play the first half a season with the pads from Riga, which were just straight RG5s and no speed plate. And when it came, I kind of tried it, loved it. So I think I just got a bit excited, really, uh, with how fast it was sliding. Um, kept it on, and I tried taking it off, especially in in Finland, and it felt like I couldn't push anyway. It felt like my pads were just stopping because I'd been used to just sliding so easily. Um, and then obviously the bowers, they they were they slide so well, but they're not like leather. They're the kind of plasticky style, aren't they? Anyway, so the form, whatever it is that they use.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So the cortex kind of
4: slide is. Yeah. 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 So they, they don't slide as fast as the speed plate, but they slide faster than when you take the speed plate off. So they were nice in between for me to get used to. So I think next year I might start with it off and see what I think to it and then maybe reintroduce it or just stick without it.
2: But you love the gloves. That's good to hear.
4: Yeah, no, the gloves are great. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see the uh, the curved blocker this year. Because when a- I had the the ones in trench, it was a flat blocker. So I I got the the six point one. I think it is a blocker with a curve on.
2: And that'll be a first for you.
4: That'll be the first warrior for me. Yeah. So uh, like I said, last time I had the flat one, which I really liked, but I just think you can control rebounds a bit better with that little traditional curve on the end
2: on the top. Okay, and last one. Yeah. Uh, on the gear side of things, how long does the set have to last you for? Because we see different levels, different pro leagues. You know, even even over here. You know, at some junior leagues it's you gotta go the whole year. Other junior leagues, you're getting multiple sets. Where is it for you playing playing in the top British league? Is it you gotta get through the year on one or do you get a couple?
4: I think if you're at one of the, the lower budget teams, you'll you'll have to get through the year on one. Uh but for me, luckily in Cardiff if if my kit breaks down or I'm getting hurt or whatever, they'll just replace it. So I'll start the season with a set of pads and two gloves, two blockers. I'll probably replace the pads, might need a third uh glove and blocker. Uh, but we're just going to see how that goes, goes, and we manage it really. But yeah, I'm in a position where look, where I'm lucky. So uh, if I, if I need an extra set of pads, then then they'll be bought for me.
2: Love it, love it. Hey, listen, Ben, this is awesome. I uh, can't wait to watch you uh, in the the pool A of the World Championships next year. Uh, if I believe it's Czechia.
4: Yeah, I think they just got announced. We're in. Uh, we're in Prague. Nice. We're, nice. we're in the group against Prague, yeah. We, uh, I can't remember who it is. I know that we've got Finland. Um, I know we've got Austria and Norway in there because they're, they're obviously the two that we've got to highlight is trying to take points off. Um, I can't remember the other teams that are in there. But I think Czech might be in there. All Switzerland are a team in there, yeah. So it's going to be another tricky one for us.
2: Well, we're looking forward to watching you on that stage. Congratulations on an exceptional tournament. Three shout-outs in five games to help Great Britain get back there. Really enjoyed the conversation taken far too long for us to have this conversation i'm going to hold you to a part two uh at some point down the road here because it was really fun and i know our audience is going to a lot of great takeaways about um you know whether it's talking about gear or talking about staying in the moment and some of the different techniques you've used for that i uh, really appreciate it and I know our audience is going to love this conversation
4: too yeah Norris, no thanks for having us on
0: You know, you get those rankings. Anybody associated with podcasts uh, realizes that you can get uh, uh, where you are on this list in the United States or that list in Mexico or that list in uh, Uruguay. Uh, every country's got it. And you're moving up and down on these various rankings. We got to be climbing big time on the hockey rankings for Great Britain. Yeah, we've had
2: a lot of feedback after last week's uh, last week's interview, and we're like we're all Britain all the time right now. I also want to get you and King, who Ben Bounds mentioned there, uh, the goalie coach. He's actually over at uh, Justin Goldman's uh, the goalie guild's uh, retreat, um, their their you know annual international goaltending retreat um, in Colorado right now. But I want to get him on later in the summer because he's been a, as as you heard from Ben, been a big part of the development there and done a lot of great things for. Um, goaltending in great Britain and yeah, I think there's some good lessons there and some good stories. So we, we promise we'll follow up on that.
0: Uh, other goaltenders with the uh, British ties that, that we've looked at over the years, uh, because Ben, Ben's playing for the, for the national team. Uh, he's the only British goaltender in the domestic league, uh, I believe. Uh, So he deserves all kinds of accolades, but uh, just to get ahead of anybody that that, that wants to write in and say, Hey, this guy also is from Britain. You guys are talking about, uh, we've we've got a few names, right?
1: We do. Let's just qualify it. The few names that we Googled just so that we could see, you know, where maybe Ben stands amongst British goaltenders. um, the, The few names that popped up were not raised in the UK, but born in the UK. So, um, there is a Vesna trophy winning goaltender in the hall of fame, born in Scotland.
0: Ooh, let's go Marc-Andre Fleury.
1: It's from roughly when you started playing hockey, Darren. It was around 1932.
0: Oh, that was good. Uh, let's go Turk Broda.
1: Yeah. Charlie Gardner.
0: No, oh, Turk Broda's Brandon. Oh, Charlie Gardner.
1: <laughs> yeah. Charlie Gardner. Um, won the Vesna trophy twice.
0: I always looked up to Charlie when I was, when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Just, uh, you you were a couple levels below him in minor hockey. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I got my first hip transplant done, replacement done when Charlie won his Vesna.
1: (laughs) And, uh, who played over 400 games in the National Hockey League guys and was born in the United Kingdom, but again, not raised there.
0: We need Jeopardy music. Uh, Yeah, we do.
1: Got a nickname that fits for the United Kingdom.
0: Hmm. King, King, Lord, Lord Byron. Oh, Lord Byron. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect nickname. I love my Byron Defoe. Yeah. Loved my Byron Defoe. Yeah. And a few others, of course,
1: apologies to the, all the other goaltenders who've uh, played games in the National Hockey League. I've got a list here in front of me that has about eight of them on it. So, um, but I don't know if any we're actually raised there or not. We'd have to do a little bit more research.
0: But our buddy, uh, BB, uh, he plays, uh, in the domestic league and, and for the national team. And I, I think he, I think he deserves that title. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a, uh, decision here (laughs) and just decide for us all. That, uh, that he deserves that title of the uh, the best British goaltender.
2: Fitting. See, fitting. We, we were going with Royal Proclamations now. Darren's on it. Uh, <laughs> Royal <laughs>
0: Proclamations. <laughs> I love it. Uh, one more uh, shout out uh, as we try to make our plans firm for Pete Fry and Tandy Fest. Uh Let's start with Pete Fry, Hutch.
1: Well, let's start with Pete Fry at Tandy Fest. So Tandy Fest is the 17th of June. It's uh, less than two weeks. Away from us in Vancouver, go check out Tendi Fest. I think it's one to five in the afternoon. We have people come from as far away as Calgary and Seattle to uh, come try out the gear and meet all the great guests that are going to be there. Pete Fry will be there with us at our table, hanging out for the day. And then a week later, he'll be presenting his mindset seminar for goaltenders, for coaches. We even had a few parents show up. It's a great thing, great way to spend uh, a day in your off-season to help you become a better goaltender for the season ahead. That's the 24th, both in-person and online. Check it out at Ingolmag.com.: uh,
0: Pete Fry on the 24th and Tendy Fest uh, Woody on the 17th.
1: Yep, make sure you don't miss it. Like I said, check
2: out all the, the hockey shop social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. They're probably on some of the more modern. You know, they probably got a TikTok. If you ever want to see Cam dance, go find.
1: They pretty do sh- now, yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, let's make Cam dance on TikTok. And if there's no Cam dancing on their TikTok, we'll ask him to do it at Tendy Fest. We've got great guests coming. We've got Ian Clark coming with us. I got Mackenzie Skapsky, the uh, Calgary Wranglers, Calgary Flames uh, goalie development coach is going to be there. As As Hutch mentioned, we got Pete Fry. We're going to bring some Sense Arena and, of course, equipment from every major manufacturer so you can get on the ice. And test it yourself. Make sure you check the hockey shop, especially on their Facebook page. There'll be a lot of sort of information and details in terms of what gear you need to bring. um, Because obviously they're not bringing you gitch or undergarments. You got to have your own. Um, What you need to bring to make sure you can get out on the ice, including at certain ages, potentially. I haven't even checked. But do you need a parent waiver? Things like that. Make sure you come prepared. Check out all their social media channels to get all the answers to your questions. And if you got any, just call Cam and annoy him.
0: Uh, we'll keep you up to date on what's happening on the uh, final few uh, tournaments and championships, the Memorial Cup uh, wrapping up, as well as the Stanley Cup playoffs as uh, we head down the home stretch uh, towards the really fun time with the draft as we get to turn the page and start all over towards a new year. Uh, for David Hutchison, Kevin Woodley, Cam, as well as Ben, uh, thanks for listening to Ingold Radio, the podcast.